This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Nationwide and their farm certified agents. Where might your farm and home not be protected? Go to nationwide.com slash Andrew for answers to help protect your next. And by Pivot Bio Proven 40 OS. The nitrogen you need, now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Over the past few years, we've continued to hear of record-breaking farmland sales in many parts of the nation. Are higher interest rates and rising input prices putting a lid on the market, or is there still enough buying capacity to keep the market moving higher? We take a look at the latest trends we see in farm country. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Nationwide. Farming and land ownership comes with its share of liabilities, and you need an insurance company to help protect you. But when it comes down to it, what you really need is an individual who truly understands what you deal with each day and knows how to help you see what you may have overlooked. That's why I've partnered with Nationwide, the number one farm and ranch insurer in the nation. They have farm certified agents. Those are agents that are specifically trained to handle the needs of farmers. I know there was a lot I'd overlooked, and that's why we created short videos to help address those key concerns. Just go to nationwide.com slash Andrew. That's nationwide.com slash Andrew where I host quick shows and important topics to help you protect your next. This week's show also brought to you by Pivot Bio. Farmers have faced many challenges regarding nitrogen needs for their corn crop in recent years. The past few seasons, I've been using Pivot Bio Proven 40 to provide my crops with nitrogen when they need it, no matter the weather. And now that predictability is available right on the corn seed. Pivot Bio Proven 40 on seed gives growers even more flexibility with their nitrogen plant. It's the first on-seed nitrogen, and all U.S. corn growers have access to the technology. Pivot Bio products contain naturally occurring microbes that fix nitrogen from the air and provide it directly to corn plants all season long. I hope you'll learn more. Just contact your local sales rep or go to pivotbio.com. If you're like me, it's kind of hard to know what land is worth and should be worth right now. Most of us have seen rising prices wherever we live, but we also have to take into account rising input prices. And, of course, you have to look at where the land is located as one of those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. Paul Shattuck at Farmers National Company is my guest this week, and he always has a handle on the latest trends we see regionally and nationally. We discuss those trends he sees and what that means for those of us in agriculture. Paul Shattuck joins me, and Paul, we're going to talk about some of the uh, land values. Uh, Farmers National Company is always, of course, tracking those very involved in the business. Let's just start very broad and tell me about what we saw in the first half of 2023, and then we'll talk about some of the underlying factors behind what we are seeing in the first half of this year. Yeah, as as you and I both know, the what we saw in 2021 and, and 2022 was quite exceptional. And what, uh, when things started to change, it was around the, uh, the last quarter of 2022. It wasn't as apparent to the general market because things were, we still saw a lot of record sales happening. But overall, when the Fed did their fourth quarter survey, it started to show a, what I'm calling a de-escalation in value. And beginning in in the first quarter or first half of 2023, that really kind of carried into it. And we then we started to see maybe 
a little less uh, activity in the market and maybe some values that started to tick down. Now, overall, they were that was still positive growth, but it was no longer those double-digit increases that we saw in uh, 21 and 22. That's what I wanted to get into. Your report shows it's uh, prices were strong but dramatically off the pace. So, in other words, we were still holding value or increasing value, but we just didn't have a steep of uh, a run up in price. Is that what we should say? Yeah, that's just exactly exactly right. I, I suppose that wasn't unexpected because certainly we had been seeing pretty significant increases in 21 and 22 uh, with uh, those prices moving higher. So is it just, okay, we can't keep that pace or what else do we see happening underneath that? I would say interest rates are certainly one of the factors, but what are you seeing? Yeah, you know, uh, in January of 2022, I fully expected us to see a settling of values, and we talked a lot about that in that first quarter, but we kind of saw the opposite, and there were a lot of outside effects. You know, commodity markets really spiked, and we had some other um, influences that kept driving that market, and then just the just the demand for land in general really drove that through most of 2022. But now some of those other factors that we thought about in 20, in the early 22 are, are coming to fruition where we're seeing interest rates increase. We're seeing uh, inputs in, increase. A lot of those supply chain uh, issues that we talked about in 2022 are really, we're seeing some effects of that now. And, and just overall production costs um, are, are really uh, changing the profitability picture in ag in general. I'm curious your thoughts and and what you're hearing out in the countryside. Interest rates, of course, are certainly higher than they have been over the last year or so. Is that one of the biggest drivers or is it that we have raised input prices and we have come off some of the commodity highs or is it truly just both of them? I'm interested in, in what might be the biggest factor out there. Yeah, I think it's a combination of, of all three where we've seen some, some, uh, decreases in commodity markets. And then, of course, interest rates didn't play an instant role in uh, effect to land prices. But what we are seeing now is that um, that loan activity has increased, uh, as reported by the, the regional banks across the country. Their performance on those loans is still very good, but they are seeing increased lending. And that, that just goes to show that there's a lot of those operators that have quite a bit less cash in their pocket to throw at uh, capital purchases, land purchases, things like that. Who have been the buyers? Traditionally, we see a lot of farm operators uh, going after that land. Uh, if it's something close to you and you have a chance to go get it, you you go and do that. But has the mix of who is buying the land changed at all as we move into 2023? It really hasn't. I kind of look for it to change somewhat but not dramatic. Uh, when, when I went back through our latest report on uh, real estate transactions, we're still seeing that it's nearly 80% of the sales are being closed by what we would consider a traditional farm operator. But as I've said in the past, the investors and, and uh, individuals like that are definitely part of the equation. They're the ones that are willing to bid at, at a lot of those sales and, uh, and hold a, a floor in values. And they are definitely part of the competition in buying land for those farm operators. 
You mentioned those folks that may be bidding on that that are investors and maybe they aren't directly involved in agriculture. How has the the rest of the economy, if you will, impacted their desire to buy land? Because now they may be able to invest in some other uh, things that might be secure and, and get a better rate of return. Or is it still, well, land is still a place to be. And, and so you really haven't seen that interest wane. It's just they can't compete with some of the farm operators out there. Yeah, I would I would kind of divide those what we call investors into to two segments. You have what will be pure investors, and and they're looking for wherever they can put their money to be uh, the best return. And and those those individuals are probably stepping away. But the majority of the of the what we'll call our ag land investors are pretty knowledgeable or have become uh, more knowledgeable over the past several years. And, and they are still committed to that long-term land, ag land investment. And so they're not, they may not be looking at what's going to happen in a year. They're looking at, if I hold this asset five years or 10 years, what are the chances that it's going to continue to appreciate in value overall? Farmers National is always working with landowners to, to market uh, pieces of land. Have you seen a change in how much land is actually being offered for sale? Yeah, that's that's a big part of what creates the competition because we are certainly seeing uh, fewer par- properties offered for sale across the industry, and uh, that is uh, definitely playing into the equation because when something does become available, uh, there's there's more active buyers looking for it. What do you think the reasons are because not as much land is, is coming up for sale? Are people holding on to it, figuring that the land values will continue to go up? Or what do you see as some of the underlying factors? You know, I, I'll, I'll put that in one word, and that's opportunity. And we have landowners that have, have held the land for generations and generations. And there's, there's a lot of families that are at the, at the table talking about, is this is this the right time for us to take advantage of this current market and sell and uh, capitalize on a, on a very good uh, return on our, our long-term investment? Or is this the best time to, to hold on to that valuable asset and let it con- continue to generate returns and potential increase in value over a long period of time? And the uh, other part of that equation is that we're also the a lot of those landowners today are further removed from the farm. And so a lot don't understand how that works and, uh, you know, what, what's all involved in operating the farm. And so they say, well, it's probably just better for us to reinvest that cash elsewhere. But overall, I think there's a, a sentiment that uh, they appreciate that long-term value of the asset and there's a, a lot of individuals that are, are taking that opportunity to hold it. Let's take a couple of questions here, thinking about from a buyer's point of view and, and a seller's point of view. I'll start with the buyer. If you were out there, in a sense, counseling somebody considering buying, what would be the key things I need to take in mind right now? Uh, thinking about how markets have changed over the last couple of years. We're kind of coming out of COVID. Commodity prices have slid back perhaps a little bit now. What would be the things that I should be thinking about if I'm looking to buy? You know, if if you're a buyer and, and you're wanting to purchase Class A type land, our our recommendation is, you know, let's, let's look at that uh, land very carefully, make sure that there are no issues with it, 
because the last thing you want to do is pay top dollar for high quality land, but then find out, well, it has drainage issues or erosion issues or, or things like that. And then on the other side of the buyer equation is if there's opportunities there and there's uh, some of these farms that maybe have an issue that needs to be corrected or maybe needs some development. And if a buyer is able to, to get that purchase at the right price, then they can go in and make the improvements and, and capitalize on that. Conversely, from the seller point of view, you mentioned people sitting down in a sense around the family table talking about, is this the, the time to sell? What should they be thinking about if it is uh, something they're considering? Yeah, and, and we, our, our agents and managers are involved in those conversations every day with the uh, relationships they have with our clients. And the, you know, the, the conversation can go a couple different ways. But, you know, one thing is that we always want to make them aware of uh, tax consequences. Sometimes ownership structure makes a difference and uh, how that transaction is going to be closed. And, it, and if they're willing to pay capital gains tax, uh, you know, what, uh, what that ramification may or may not be. And if they don't want to, we may have to counsel them into, uh, you know, where, where can we replace that property into something you're more comfortable with and, uh, and avoid that, that tax consequence. We tend to focus on what you would call the, the, the type A or grade A land. And uh, coming from Northwest Missouri, I know that some of our land certainly isn't that. and We have pasture as well. So how has the market impacted different types of land? Has pasture land or maybe not as productive farmland uh, not only come off the pace, but plateaued a bit, even fallen back? Or what do you see? Yeah, when we look at what happened in 2021 and 22, it was really hard to disseminate from class to class, the activity, they were all selling well above what were the, uh, the historic market highs. And now we are starting to see when we, if we just throw out the class A land and we start analyzing class B to class D land, um, we, we are seeing some decreases in value in some of those that uh, have been challenged with drought and um, and certain areas where you know pr- productivity has always been a concern. Uh, so I think we're we're definitely seeing those uh, plateau and and in some cases even seeing some slight decreases. Nothing dramatic at this point. They're still selling stronger than they ever have in history, but they are certainly not uh, what they were two years ago. Farmers National helps with management of, of land as well. Do you still see a strong push toward taking some of that land out of pasture and trying to convert it to crop ground when they can? We saw that trend uh, pretty significant over the last, how many ever years we want to say, the last decade or even two. Uh, has that slowed any or what do you see? Yeah, I think that has has slowed a lot. I think that land that had the potential to be productive especially when commodities increased to the levels they were at. Those areas were definitely brought into production. In fact, there may be some that we see go the other way, that they were brought into production and and caused some issues, and so maybe they're going to go back into a conservation program. And I think we'll still see um, there's always opportunity and and different techniques and technologies that can be used to to better serve uh, the land. But overall, I think we've we've kind of tapped that potential for the most part. 
you always break down these reports by region. Anything that stands out to you as you look around different regions in the the U.S., whether it is stronger prices or not so strong prices or other factors in in specific regions? The the I states are always interesting. You know, they're always the the ones that are the hottest, but they're also the first ones to start to realize a change. And so we we watch those pretty closely, and that's where most of the competition is. That's where most of the activity is. They are they are definitely the most telling states. But when we get down into, you know, the, the southeast part of the United States and even some portions out west, there's still some opportunities out there, um, but they're probably the ones that are, are going to see less competition for the land. Do you think some of that not only is the number of operators, but especially as we look to the west, has how much has the drought impacted the ability to sell land or, or keep value with that land uh, out there? Yeah, and you, and you hit a nail on the head there because, you know, I come from that part of the country where, you know, the, the operators are few and far between. The lack of operators definitely play the, the biggest part of that equation. One thing that we sometimes talk about is uh, land that is more recreational use, hunting and, and these types of things. Any changes in that? Is that market still strong or plateaued? Because often those might be people that wouldn't be active necessarily in farming, but might be looking for parcels of land to go and, and have as a hunting property and, and these types of things. Yeah, but it's still fairly active. And when and uh, through our hunting lease network, we have a lot of those individuals that lease land, but in the but their second uh, sentence after they say they want to lease land is if anything becomes available to purchase that makes sense, you know, I definitely want to be, want to be included in that. I won't say that it's a very, a really hot market, but it's a, it's pretty steady. And there's, there's definitely continued interest um, in, in that. And the only thing that could really change that is if the overall economy across the U S changes, then I, I think that we could definitely see, that market potentially soften. You mentioned leasing there, and, and we might jump back into some of these ag lands and thinking about uh, leasing and rental of land because you're involved in, in that as well. Have we not only seen a difference in maybe what people are giving for those those rents or leases, but have the types of leases changed over the last two or three years because of the values, or, or really have we stayed pretty much unchanged? We've been very surprised at how strong that uh, demand and the activity is for leasing, especially cash leasing, uh, as these land values have gone up. Um, you know, it, that all goes back to that profitability uh, topic that I discussed. And there's their operators are still able to either work off of a scalable enterprise and, and farm more land with, with the equipment that they have to, in today's world. But overall, the, the leasing is, has certainly changed. Uh, you know, what, what used to be a standard cash lease has now moved into flex leases and other options like that, that that move back to what was a traditional crop share type arrangement where, you know, you, you both share in the in when, when you get into the good side of things and, uh, and, and then conversely, when maybe markets aren't quite as good, that or production isn't quite as good, then the uh, that rent kind of falls back, and it, it really helps make adjustments uh, based on the year that's happening. I've certainly seen that trend as well, and I'm interested in your opinion. Do you think that we have seen these changes 
solely because we saw the, the prices or the income from crops go up? And then if it falls back, we'll see those leases revert back to what's they, what they once were? Or will we stay with these type of leases because we've, we've made a fundamental change in what we're doing? I, I think that it's going to be more of a fund, fundamental change because one reason that um, flex type leases or anything outside of a traditional cash lease uh, a lot of operators and even landowners weren't very comfortable with that. But over the past 10 years, they've become very comfortable with how that calculation takes place. A lot of them have been tweaked to the region to fit the situation that they deal with. And uh, so I, th- I think we're kind of going to stay in that in that realm. And, and that's going to be the, the majority lease type moving forward. As input prices have gone up, has that impacted then some of those lease discussions, if you will, about how much we are going to spend uh, on this crop? Because you can spend uh, a lot of money pretty fast these days. Oh, yeah, you you certainly can. And uh, it's it's definitely part of the, the uh, conversation when we start talking about leases with first the landowners and then secondly with, with operators. And, you know, there's a there's a lot of discussions uh, go back and forth about profitability and what's the tipping point uh, for for some of those uh, lease values. One of the things that uh, was mentioned in your report that Farmers National sent out was just looking at the, the Federal Reserve Survey and talking about how much uh, money, in a sense, is out there to be able to service debt and, and borrowing and be able to make these land purchases we suspect that some of that money is is now going toward inputs and as those have gone up do you have a sense though out in the countryside how much buying capacity is still out there i guess we would say there still has to be enough because the prices are still moving higher we just aren't on the same pace yeah there's there's definitely not as much cash there is still cash available out there but that period of high liquidity has has definitely passed and in general and uh and has narrowed quite a bit, I would say that there's probably still some very efficient operators out there that have cash left to spend for capital or land. But in general, what we're seeing and what those Midwestern banks are seeing is that that there's definitely an increase in operational lending, but they also are quick to follow that up with that, that those loans are performing at a high level. So there's not concern of, of, uh, the servicing of those loans, but they're they're definitely uh, lending more than what they were in the past. That's what I wanted to ask then. As far as the lenders that you're talking to, they don't at this point see a lot of concern with the loans that they are making. We're still able to service the debt at this point, uh, it looks like. Yeah, uh, most all the, the regional banks that, that we talk to feel very positive about where they're borrowers are at and that they'll be able to service that debt uh, in the situation they're currently in. Paul, before we wind up, of course, you handle a lot of different facets of of land ownership and leasing and and working with all kinds of landowners uh, really all across the nation. Any other trends, concerns, things that you see on the horizon that uh, we should be thinking about? You know, there we always get that question about, you know, the the crystal ball and and where we think things are going to go. And um, when I look through uh, where I anticipate things to to go in the, the second half of 2023 and maybe early 24 is that we still see a strong competition, especially for that high quality productive land. The overall ag economy is is 
healthy and we're seeing the, our pipeline for sales kind of come in at a, a very typical pace for the fall. And uh, so we'll, our activity level appears that it's going to be maybe not the really high activity years of 21 and 22, but we're still above our pace our, of our five-year average. So overall, I, I remain pretty confident that that strong demand will continue through the, the end of the year and probably beginning into 2024, mostly because of that stable ag economy and, and uh, the effects that's at, that that will have on primarily producers, but also the attitudes of investors. Paul, it's always good to uh, catch up and uh, talk about land values and what's going on out there. I appreciate the time. You bet. Happy to do it anytime. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Remember, you can follow Farming the Countryside and our daily show, American Countryside, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Just type in Farming the Countryside or American Countryside. And you can hear these shows in a variety of ways as well on your favorite podcast platforms at farmingthecountryside.com or on many radio stations. I always appreciate you joining us. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farm in the Countryside has been brought to you by Nationwide and their farm certified agents. Where might your farm and home not be protected? Go to nationwide.com slash Andrew for answers to help protect your next. And by Pivot Bio Proven 40 OS, the nitrogen you need now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com.